You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. I came across a quote this past week that just melted my heart. The quote said these words, don't preach to people that you don't love. Many pastors get up and as Marlon said when I was gone, they want to sock it to you. That's not my goal in this. I have pleaded with the Lord all week long to allow my heart to show. My goal is not to sock it to you. My goal is to help you and I grow together through seeing what happened to these seven churches in the book of Revelation. So it's to that end that I speak to you this morning. It's not about comparing because the only thing that comparing does is make everyone frustrated God does not want us to become like the church of Ephesus and that's pretty clear so the first thing he does is Christ commends them. That's the first point in your sermon outline. Now, I need you to know something. The city of Ephesus was mighty and majestic. Um, and, and, and here's the picture I want to give you. Um, maybe, maybe this isn't such a good picture nowadays, but maybe back in the glory days, um, you remember New York City? You know, I don't know how many of you have ever gone to the city and, 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 the, and the glory days of, of, of walking through the city and the beautiful um, things that, that, that were there and, 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 and all the stuff that was happening, ships coming in and, and things that were happening. Ephesus was like New York City. There was a lot of action. It never slept. It was a center of tourism and trade. Four major trade routes went right through the church of Ephesus, or the, not the church, the city of Ephesus, making it somewhat a, a, a cosmopolitan um, place in the ancient world. It was wealthy, and yet a very pagan city, as it was home to the largest temple in the ancient world, the pagan temple of Artemis. Acts 20 actually gives us a background on the church where it tells us that Paul had preached among them for three years. <clears throat> we also have the book of Ephesians to tell us and help us understand the profound degree to which they had been taught the truth. They understood who they were in Christ and how to walk with Christ and how to engage in spiritual warfare. Their, their problem was not their failure to understand good doctrine. Their problem was not that they lacked perseverance. The church existed during one of the most difficult times in church history, in Christian history. As I said, their leader was taking Christians by the tens, the twenties, and burning them at the stake. 
And he didn't just do it for public display. He did it for his own pool parties, for his own satisfaction. How dare you stand up and say you were a Christian in 54 AD with the Emperor Nero at your side? There was widespread persecution of Christians and the Ephesian church had refused to bow the knee to Caesar and had stood firm during the persecution. So listen to verses 1 and 3. Here they are. Christ commends them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now let me just stop right there. The angel, we, we automatically think of Christmas time in the beautiful white flowing um, wings. We're not sure what this angel means. It could be a messenger. So in other words, it's not what we think of when we say angel. It's someone literally taking a letter to the church in Ephesus and presenting it to them. These are the words who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. You can read all about that on the back of your sermon outline later. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claims to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So here's what the church of Ephesus was not. It was not idle. Christ commends them on it, standing up for truth in the midst of the issues that were facing them all around. They took a strong, a strong stand against heresy. They were all grounded in, in the word and they had withspread, withstood persecution and not fainted. Outwardly, everything looked great. And for those good things, Christ commends them. Nothing goes unnoticed by God. I want you to notice that. Sometimes we can think of God, and sometimes I can present God to my friends as a God who doesn't see the good, but only sees the bad. I want you to be clear here that in every church, just about, there's one church that <laughs> he didn't have much good to say about at all. But he finds the good. And he notices the good. And he says it's not all bad. And so what I want you to grasp is, is that that's the kind of God you serve. Sometimes we can hear things and see things and we can say this is all bad. I'm, I'm guilty of that. And God reminds us in these churches in Revelation that, yeah, there were, there were some things that we're going to find out in the church of Ephesus that need some serious work. But he's not just looking at the bad. That's what we do, right? Glass half empty, glass half full. God sees the good and the bad, and he, and he tells this church about what what good things they were doing. 
So then after commending them in verses 1 through 3, he counsels them in verses 4 through 5. And here's where it gets a little dicey. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So he says these, these words, and, and, and I'm sure if you've sat in church for, for any amount of time, you've heard this sermon before, and, and where the pastor goes right after this scripture passage is usually that they, they, they've lost their first love for Jesus Christ. They've, they've somehow watered down the gospel, and they need to get back to the fact that they love Jesus, and they need to get back to Jesus. However, that's not altogether what's being said. Jesus says they stand up for truth in the first three verses. He says they've persevered even when, when their leader is killing them. This isn't an all-bad church. They haven't lost their fire for Jesus. A church that loses their fire for Jesus won't stand up for truth anymore. Bishop Randy, in his email to us, he, he likes to do videos instead of sending us an email. And so he, does, he did this video and he said, listen, every church has a choice right now. We, we, can, we can take away this. This, this Bible. Now, I want to be clear on this. He does not mean this in political terms. He said, we can be liberal. We can be liberal where everybody's okay. No one has a problem. We don't have to call anybody on the carpet. We can choose to do that as a denomination. We have to change our bylaws, but that, that can be done. Or you can call this the word of God. And so the Ephesus church is, is doing what Bishop Randy asked us to do. Stand on the truth, even when it hurts. So he counsels them to their first love, to, ke to keep Jesus first in their hearts. That, that is a part of it, but it's not all of it. See, the first love here is a mixture. Again, we might have heard it several times that, that they lost their love for Jesus. And that is a portion of it because they lost their love for someone else. Here's the next two points in your sermon outline. The reality is that a little two of things have been forsaken. They have forsaken their love for God. They certainly have in one area. You know what that area was? Their love for one another. See, when you're so focused on truth, you can become judgmental of those sitting around you. Well, I am certainly living a better life than he is or she is.
And what the Ephesian church did was they, they, they defended this word to the point where they began to look at people even outside of their body as those people. Those people that struggle with sin. And it's true, that's what they are. Like you weren't before you came to Christ. Get my point? Oh, I could, I could never live that lifestyle. Maybe there's a reason they live that lifestyle. Now, I haven't said that lifestyle's right. Maybe they have the baggage that you once had. And that's the way they deal with that lifestyle. And so the Ephesian church, yeah, they certainly did. They did a great job of defending the truth. But what ended up happening was they focused so much. I'm going to hide this stuff so I'm not kicking it. They, they, they focused on that stuff so much. they became judgmental of each other. Let me read directly from the commentator that I used in this preparation. The Ephesian church had forsaken its first love. The expression here expresses both the love of God and love of humanity at a large. But here it seems to refer mainly to the love that the Ephesian converts had for one another. Love for other believers was the distinctive badge of Christian discipleship. But at Ephesus, hatred of heresy and extensive involvement in the works appropriate to faith had allowed the first fresh glow of love for God and one another to fade. What Debbie read for us earlier is exactly how Jesus ties these two together. What are the two greatest commandments that everything hangs on? Everything hangs on. This entire word hangs on. Let me refresh you. You're, I'm going to skip to verse 37, Tammy. So if you have to do another slide, that's what you're going to have to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Standing on the truth. Loving the Lord with all your mind, your heart, your soul. That's the first and the greatest commandment. But the second, the second Jesus says is just like it. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what he's saying literally to the Ephesus church is this. You've hung on to truth, but you've done it at a price. 
And that price is, is that you don't love other people. And therefore, if you don't love other people, do you really love God? Because he is love. What happens when we lose our first love, what happens when the passion we once had for Christ is replaced by legalism or by self-righteousness or by a mechanical form of Christianity that if I just do this, I can check it off my box, contains all the externals but lacks the internal passion, the once stirred in our hearts, (laughs) moved us to love for Christ. And guess what it leads to? You and I doing this a lot. He's the problem. She's the problem. I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm pointing at the ceiling. They're the problem. Instead of me standing in front of the mirror and saying, where's my problem? And the Ephesian church had it down pat. Sure, they stood up for the truth, but they did did it at a cost. You see, what we do is we focus on the form instead of the substance of our faith. We become obsessed with knowledge instead of holiness. You know, there's a game that we play in our house a lot, and and, um, it's called Jeopardy, right? And so every night, just about, when we get a chance, not every night because we are busy people, but all the nights that we're at home, Michelle will sit on the sofa next to me, and I will sit in my recliner that I bought for my heart surgery because i got to use the thing. And so I'll have my legs up, and she'll be watching, and we will try to beat each other at Jeopardy. Now, I got to tell you something. I tell Michelle all the time she needs to go on Jeopardy because this woman rattles off answers like nobody's business. But so many times we study the scriptures so we can answer the Jeopardy questions, but it doesn't change our hearts. I know many people that were on my Bible quiz team as a child and we had to know the scripture on the bible quiz team i don't know if you remember bible quizzing it used to be a big thing in churches they'd literally have little buttons that you would sit on on your on your uh, on your chair and then they'd ask a question about the bible and the first person that got up lit up on a little board and then you'd have to answer the question churches played each other I know some folks that never made this word real. And so now they're living lifestyles that aren't in agreement with this. Because they knew it knowledge, but they didn't know it in their heart. The church of Ephesus struggled with this. Why do you think that there is over a million dollars waiting at the EC Church Center for discipleship right now? 
Because people aren't being discipled. And when you're not discipled, the, the, the problem becomes that you know it in your head, but it doesn't make impact here. I have to be careful with that. When Pastor Landon was here, we would talk about that often. Because sometimes I study my sermon and I say, well, that's, that's my morning time with God. Wait, I'm trying to figure it out up here. I'm not letting it saturate here. We lose our evangelistic zeal and see the world as our enemy instead of our mission field. I'm going to step close to that line this morning. Could you imagine a world where left Christians saw right Christians as their mission field? Could you imagine a world where right Christians saw left Christians as their mission field? We should. Just because someone disagrees with us doesn't make them less of a mission field. You talk to a right Christian on that side of the aisle, and they'll tell you that the left Christians, they must not know Jesus. The left Christians will tell you the right Christians aren't serving the Jesus that they think they're serving. That means to me that they're both a mission field. But we've lost that. We would rather throw grenades. Right? I'll never forget the time standing out in the middle of a church, a church uh, drive-thru. They, they had a thing where um, you could drive your car up and drop people off in, in the dryness. So if it's raining. And I won't tell you which way it went, but... There was a man on our board who looked at another man who was on our board and said, I can't believe that those people on that side of the aisle are even Christians. The man he said it to was on that side of the aisle. And as an associate pastor at 20-some years of age, there I stand right in the middle of this. That's really not loving one another. And the man who made the comment was the Sunday school superintendent. He knew it all about Scripture. My point is, is that we got to see it differently. In the day and age when we did, we were reaching people but we're polarized right now. 
we're broken, we're divided. What I mean by that is we whole world. We allow other things to sit on the throne of our lives and relegate Christ to a lesser place of importance. Now, mind you, while we're doing this, the Ephesian church would stand up and give lip service to Christ as their Lord. But in their hearts, defending the truth reigned. We begin to love something or someone more than we love Christ. And the list continues. So what happens when Christ cautions them? So Christ cautions them in verses 5 through 7. And here's what he says. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Wherever, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So there's three steps. They're there on your sermon outline. Number one, consider how far you've fallen. Now, here's what I want to be clear on. This is not a woe is me situation. All right? So if you have come to the point where you defend the truth, but you've lost something with Jesus, don't go to woe is me. I'm a loser. I don't get this. I'm stupid. I'm this. I'm that. All the things that we teach, <laughs> we teach our children not to say to ourselves. What, what Christ is talking about here when he says return or remember from where you've fallen is, is kind of what is going on in Luke 15. Luke 15 is the story where, where, where the, 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 the child asks for the, 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 the boy, the, the, the one who walked away from his father, asks for all of his inheritance, right? And he goes and he spends it on prostitutes and wild living, the Bible tells us. And he's down to nothing. He has nothing. And, he, and he's sitting there and he's feeding pigs the pods that they ate. And the Bible literally says that he yearns to eat the food that the pigs are eating because he has nothing. But then he remembers something. He remembers that his father's servants are treated with much better food than pig food. And he returns. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. When we feel like the fire of Jesus is out of us. Remember where you came from. I'm not talking about earthly where you came from. I came from Craig and Lynette Kindig. I started off on a rough patch. First three months of my life, I had to get a shunt put in my head. If I didn't, I would be hurting for the rest of my life and have to depend on my parents. 
That's all well and good. But where you started, where your life really took off was when you became a child of God. And some of us have walked so far down the journey of life that the place that we became the child of God is the piano, and here I am. I don't feel much like a child of God. You need to remember the day that you made that decision. When the king's riches became your riches. When you were no longer, oh, that guy or that woman. But you are his son or daughter. That's what Jesus is asking the church of Ephesus to get a grasp on. Second, repent. Literally, the Greek word here in this repent, the repent means some different things, but it's literally a mental U-turn. Here's why. Because when you're thinking like this, like, like, you know, I came to Christ at the piano and, and, I, and I'm over here now and, you know, my, my passion is gone. I'm frustrated. I'm not even sure which way is up with my relationship with Christ. All these things are going through your head. That's called ignorant thinking. That's called your doubting that he is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, God. And so what Jesus asked them to do is, would you please make a mental U-turn, Church of Ephesus? You're going down roads that are not good. It's literally realizing that we're thinking wrong and need to make a mental U-turn. Third, do the works you did at first. See, repentance and a mental U-turn should bring a change in behavior. Timothy Keller, one of the greatest, uh, one, one of my favorite artists, or, or uh, excuse me, authors, is a pastor in New York City, and he writes that a relationship with Jesus should literally change people. You cannot meet Jesus and stay the same. You can't. It's through the Gospels. The Samaritan woman doesn't meet Jesus and then go and, and do what she was always doing. She changes her life. She literally brings people to Christ. What does what is his last words to the one who's called in adultery? Go and sin no more. In other words, get off this ground and don't go find love with another man. You've been given love today by your Savior. You cannot meet Jesus and stay the same. His grace changes you. And so what he's saying is go back to what you were doing, loving each other through that loving Christ. Want to change the world, church in Ephesus? Get back to loving one another and loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind because you've fallen off the rails. 
That's what he's saying to the church of Ephesus. And to us. Look, we can fix all the problems and look like a well-washed machine and still miss the very important point that he has for us. Many of you came later in the time of Faith Church's existence, and, you know, I read the history sometimes. Um, I, 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 there's history books over in the church office, and do you know what the first desire of Faith Church was? It was, it was a bunch of people who met at, at, at Hope Rescue Mission to lead worship, to, to serve the men, to do all those things. And then they started talking it's clear in the, in the history of the church. They, they started talking and they, they desired that the people that live in these houses would know Jesus. And they desired to be a body that would work together to reach this general area. They don't come out and say it in these words, but they desired to be a place where when you came in, you felt loved. And hoping that that love would change you. And you would come to know Jesus. I got to tell you, I was reading it this week and I thought to myself, that, that would be a, could we just start over again? <laughs> could we just go back to doing two things good? Loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and loving each other. And watch what Jesus does with it. How serious is Christ about them changing their ways? He's pretty serious because listen to what he says later. It'll be on the screen as well, I believe. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now listen, there is commentaries that try to lighten this load. There are commentaries that try to, try to um, water down what Jesus is saying here. But listen, there's, there's no real good way to put this other than to say to you, this means that the church will be non-existent if they don't change their ways. Period. They will lose their light to their community. They will lose their everything. And you say, what, whatever happened to the church of Ephesus? I don't know, we're still trying to dig it up because there is no gospel preaching church in Ephesus right now. Maybe Jesus was serious about that lampstand thing. Like, real serious.
There's no sugarcoating this, folks. It's the removal of the church of Ephesus. They will no longer be a movement. There will no longer be a witness there. It is serious. Then he goes on and he says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, I want you to be clear here. This victory, this victory, whatever this victory looks like, is something not that we earn. We don't earn it. Christ gives it to us. And this victory is, is at the end of the time, the garden becomes not the, 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 the struggling place that it is in Genesis. But it becomes a beautiful place where those who have not only defended the word and defended the truth, but loved one another and loved Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind, apparently gets to eat from that tree of life. It's a beautiful picture of the garden changing around. From a place of sin and despair where Adam and Eve yelled at each other and told them and did the very thing that we're talking about and pointed their finger, if you wouldn't have given me her, I wouldn't have sinned. If you wouldn't have given me him, I wouldn't have sinned. If Satan wouldn't have came into the picture, we wouldn't have sinned. And they did the very thing that we were challenged about that the Ephesian church is doing. It's everybody else's problem, not mine. And that garden, that, that ugly garden becomes a beautiful garden for those who have persevered through people like Nero. Through leaders who don't care about biblical standards. Have loved one another through the hardest of times. That's the people that are victorious, but they aren't victorious in their own strength. No, Christ is pretty clear. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right. Because I gave them the strength to be victorious. There are moments where the love of God in people has brought me to tears. Sometimes I will, I will watch this happen, and, 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 and in 27 years of, or not 27, 20-some years of, of ministry, I've watched this happen beautifully. And yes, even here, yes. And, I, and sometimes I've stepped back from the crowd and and I know I get, sometimes people think maybe, you know, oh, he's lazy. He just stepped back from the crowd. No, I had to go over and have a crying moment. Because people got along and did the work and did it great and wonderful and, and showed Christ's love to each other. It reminds me of a moment when I was a youth pastor, and I'm going to shoot a guy's face up. Don't get too scared about this, but uh, go ahead and shoot the next slide up, please, if you could. Thank you. This gentleman's name is Red Weber. I remember the Red Weber moment like it was yesterday. I'm sitting in my office in Dover, Pennsylvania, doing my work as a youth pastor, and Red Weber comes into my office. Now, when I say office, think broom closet. 
All right, that's all the bigger this, this office was. Seriously, it was probably the size, less than the size of the bathroom in our lobby. I mean, you, you basically could have one person sit on the outside of your desk and your chair was up against the back wall. There was no room for anybody else. And so Red comes in and, and I can tell Red's a little worked up. All right, you know it when they come into your office. And I got something to discuss with you. And here's what Red's issue was. Every year we would take the youth group somewhere to do a, 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 a missions trip. And this particular year that we're talking about, we were going to Texas. And Red was on the property team at the church. And Red's feeling was, man, look around our church. We got plenty to do. Why are you going to Texas to help the missionaries? All right, that was his opinion. And Red and I would have talks, and he wouldn't understand, and, and so we would have more talks, and then he wouldn't understand. And so I wasn't surprised by this meeting. In fact, one of my secretaries said, Pastor Brett, um, Red Weber is here, I thought. <laughs> Lord, give me strength. And so he comes in, and he, I mean, he's mad. And he flips out on me. Now, I'm not promoting this part of the story. You know, I really don't think you need to go to Texas. I know you're taking my grandchildren. I know this, all the stuff, all the stuff that you tell me about missions trips and how important they are to people's development. And I know all this stuff, Pastor Brett, but I really still don't think you need to go. And, I, and I'm just sitting back and just, okay, get it off your shoulders, man. He then pulls it, he has an envelope in his, and I saw the envelope and I was like, okay, he was somewhere, he had an envelope, whatever. And he stops his tirade and <laughs> pulls out the envelope. And he says, but as much as I disagree with it, and as much as I hate you for taking them to Texas, I love you enough as my associate pastor that I hear is $800 so you can rent vans for that youth group to get around Texas. And he lays the $800 on my desk and he walks out. Not a word. I'm telling you, it's like yesterday. And this was, 20, this was, this was 18 years ago. I sat back at my desk and I... <laughs> I started to cry. And I said in my head, if this is what the body of Christ looks like in heaven, I want all of it. Where we can disagree passionately. But at the end of the day, you understand there's a bigger picture. Because your love for people drives you more than your love for being right. And I made a commitment that day to make sure that every church I served, every church I served, drives towards that kind of relationship. I can do without the yelling and screaming, but at the end of the day, you understand there's a bigger picture Red didn't like it one bit. 
but he loved the church and he loved the kids enough to say, hey, I'll put it, I'll put it aside to pay. That's the desire of God's heart for the church of Ephesus and for the church in Temple, Pennsylvania. There's a bigger picture. The gospel needs to be shared. Jesus loves you. And he wants the best for you. There's two questions I want you to to kind of leave from here after we sing our closing hymn, thinking about. How am I doing at loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Now listen, like the church of Revelation, you're going to come up with what your natural um, thing is going to be is you're going to look for the negative. I stink at it. Stop yourself. I want you to find three positives and two negatives that you need to work on in loving your God or your God, the God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. Find three positives that you're doing. This is how I do it. This is how I show it. There is no right and wrong. There is no, there is no um, you know, you don't have to show me. If you want to show me, I'd love to talk to you about it. That's always a great thing to, to hear how people are taking the sermons and putting them into action. But how are you doing? Three good ones, two negatives. And you can even live in the negative to one. I'm not going to be upset by that. But how are you doing? Again, Satan wants you to focus on the negative. But I got to tell you, I've been here for eight years. I don't think it's all negative. I think there's a lot of positives. I think sometimes Satan wins the battle in our heads. And we need to tell him, as one congregation member put it to me in a text this week, to take a hike. And it's fine time we do. It's now. Number two question is this. How is loving God showing in loving to others? In loving others. So in other words, look, you you really can't love your wife well, husband, if you're not loving Jesus. Sure, you can do the, the, the Hollywood version of love. And we all know what that is. But if you want to do Christ-like love to your wife, you got to know and you got to believe and you got to be in the relationship with Christ. Wives, same way around. Church, same thing for us. You want to know why we are quick to point our fingers? Because we're not fully engaged with Christ. Period. Why do I look at the congregation sometimes and say, I wish they would do this? Because I'm not fully engaged with Christ. Because if I was, I would realize you're his bride. And he doesn't mess around with people cheating on his bride. How about you? 
loving others is only done when we love Jesus first. It's the only way it can be done correctly, biblically. And so ask yourself those questions throughout the week. How am I doing with loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul? And number two, how is loving God showing in the way that I love others? I've been asking myself these questions for the entire week. There are goods and there are bads. I'll give you three guesses on which one I focus on, and the first two guesses don't count. The bads. So when I tell you to tell Satan to take a hike, I realize there's 20-some fingers coming back at me. You're not horrible. You're not everything God or Satan wants you to believe you are. You're his child. And yeah, you might not do your devotions daily. It's not the end of the world. How are you loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? And then how is that love translating in how you love others? And in this building and outside of this building. Let me just give you one challenge of mine. Driving. <laughs> I've been learning about myself that I don't love others in the car as much as I should. Everybody who's flying by me is an idiot. Everybody who's going behind me slow is an idiot too because they're going too slow. I'm the only one apparently going the only right speed. And so God has been working on me about that. And maybe he has a place for you to work on that too. Do it. Do it. Why do I want you to grow so much? Because when you grow, we grow. When I grow, you grow. It's the way the body of Christ works. It's also why when we said the Apostles' Creed, this was brought up in praise team this morning, many churches say, I believe, I believe, I believe, but that's not why the Apostle Creed was written. It was written for a community of believers so that we all can remind ourselves of what we believe. Because in God's economy, it's not about what you're doing. It's about what we're doing together. And then it's not even about what we're doing together here at 400 North Temple Boulevard. Do you know there's a church meeting elsewhere right now? Do you know that the EC church never has a time on a Sunday morning, granted, maybe a couple of hours, where one is not meeting. So when we're not meeting, Japan is. Costa Rica. Other places. 
we're a part of something much bigger. And that's the point of the story. This isn't just about Temple PA. This is about Japan. This is about Leesport. This is about Sinking Springs. This is about Dixon, Bethel, Illinois. This is about something much, much bigger. And we're in it together. So let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this reminder of what the church of Ephesus struggled with. It's a reminder of the two things that you desire for us in our hearts. You desire us to love one another. And first, you desire us to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Lord, help us not to be so good at defending the truth that we forget that we got to love people on the other side of that truth. Yes, we even have to love people that don't believe in that truth because you love them on the cross. It's hard, Lord. And as hard as it is in 2022, I can't imagine what the church of Ephesus was thinking when they watched their brothers and sisters be put on poles and burned for believing in you. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes from things that are on this earth to turn our eyes onto you as a church, as a people. Help us to remember that we are much bigger than Temple, Pennsylvania. We are a part of a great movement in India and, and Japan. Help us to strive to see you throughout this week. Help us to answer those questions, Lord. How are we doing? And most of all, Lord, help us to keep the enemy's voice far, far away from the answers. Help us to be encouraging to one another and to love one another. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 